Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson with you as always. And Logan, one of us was at OTAs like usual yesterday, but it was it was me. It was you. I got to go to OTAs. What'd you think, man? Uh, you, How was it for you? It was great. It was great. I'm excited to dive into this. It, I, I said this yesterday on the radio as we record this Thursday morning, but um, it's the most exciting OTA I've ever been to. Um, Why do you say that? Just watching, watching the way they run practice now is just so much better than any practice that I've been to before. The way they ran it under Gruden, uh, the way they ran it uh, in previous OTAs or training camp practices or whatever I've been to uh, in the Rivera era, just the way they run this practice there's a crispness, a speed, a creativity to all of it that I think matters and that I think, um, I mean, obviously makes it more entertaining and interesting to watch. Also, like, let's be honest, part of that is that it's different. I think previously everything I'd saw or everything I'd seen had been pretty much the same. And when you see something different, there's some natural excitement there. Um, so if I had seen just the enemy style practices, if you will, all my life and then went to a different practice, I'd probably also have like, oh, this is different. But I do think that like this is better and um getting to see that in person was was exciting and kind of getting to see what all the hoopla is about um and so yeah i was we'll we'll go over what i saw in more detail but the uh overwhelming or overarching theme the overarching takeaway was like well that was pretty fun i like that that seemed productive i totally agree i mean i think that you know even even to your point like it's the novelty is something that is you know, it's obviously exciting, but I do think that the thing that really sticks out to you when you watch practice is the tempo, <clears throat> excuse me, and the speed, <clears throat> excuse me, that they're operating with. And I think that's something that is, that, that, that makes me excited, right? Because there's like a deliberateness, there's like a, an intensity and, you know, on good offenses, then I bet a part of like, that's the thing that characterizes it. it. And again, it's, this is something that I think as I get older and as I kind of expand in this analyst role, that it becomes more apparent to me. It, there's no magic bullet. There's nothing magic about offensive install. Everyone kind of runs the same play, the same plays with the same intent. The offensive line has similar protection rules. It's about how you coach it and how you execute it. And when you go out and watch practice, you see guys understanding the details that make plays come alive. Like in practice yesterday, for example, they're running mesh, and we've talked about this before. And usually mm-hmm. mesh, you have two crossers and then a guy that sits over the ball. They've they 
not, this isn't new to the to the Washington Commanders. It's not new to the league. But instead of running two crossers, they one run guy, one guy across, and one guy sits over the ball. Some people call that play shallow cross, or that's what it was called in Kyle's offense. They run it where like it looks like one of the guys is going to run a crosser, but he's actually picking for the crosser and then gets to his landmark. Which to me is just again, it's not a huge thing. It's it's the same play. Everyone runs it, but that little detail all of a sudden allows that crosser to come open. And then if the if the pick if the guy that's being picked, the defender that's being picked, fights over the top, you get this huge window for the sit. So it's just it's a nice detail. And the more you watch this offense and you compare it to Kansas City and you compare it to the Shanahan's, the McVeighs, the LaFleurs, the Mike McDaniels you see that those are the details that make this come alive. And the fact that they're being able to communicate that to the players, again, is exciting. And then the energy and the speed with which they, they kind of execute the practice and the tempo with which they execute, it just that's all good offensive stuff. So, you know, I, I think even if this was novel or even if this is something you had seen for 10 years, like this is good, this is good offensive practice, you know? And I think, um, and it's so funny, like everyone talks about, you know, the defense is going to set the tone for this team. In practice, the offense sets the tone. And what I mean by that, they set the cadence. How quickly can they get the play called? How quickly can they, can they get to the line of scrimmage? How quickly can they work through the cadence and the checks? If you've got a slow, kind of methodical, deliberate offense, you don't get an up-tempo practice. And I think you're seeing kind of the fruits and the benefits of that with EB. No doubt about it. Um, there was a play yesterday that... Um... Well, actually, let me let me say this first before I get back to to that specific play um, and kind of the, the shot clock element, if you will. Um, I had this conversation on the sideline yesterday. I think it was with Matt Paris. Um, but, you know, I said, like, the, everyone runs the same plays. Like, th yeah. these are the same plays. It's the same everything. But the amount of window dressing on it, the amount of confusion you can cause a defense by simply switching a formation or running a motion. There, there was a, a play where they lined up. It was kind of like a stack uh, tight to the right, two receiver mm -hmm. stack. Um, and then they had, I think, just regular splits out to the left. And they took the the off-ball receiver on that right side stack, motioned him across, uh, and then right back to where he started. But what that does is it makes it from two-by-two two to three-by-one back to two-by-two. Two. Yeah. And even though, and if you just run that play static, the defense is set and they know what they're doing based off that two-by-two two look and whatever call came in and their checks and simple enough to execute when all of a sudden you're like oh crap it's three by one we got to check we got to shift we got to do whatever then he comes back and there's not enough time to to recheck reshift or at the very least you're you're moving at the snap you're not exactly where you want to be that's a chance for confusion it's mm -hmm. an easy thing uh for an offense to do that's difficult for the defense now there's extra verbiage there Curtis Samuel was pretty hilarious yesterday. Them play calls be long. Like, you have to put in the time. I'll be out there. I ain't going to lie. i be spending some time. But, you know, I put in the time outside of here. So, you know, it's just fun. There is some neural load, right? There's a, there's a, a brain capacity that you have to have to run this offense. And that was another thing Curtis said that I think was was really interesting. You know, he was asked about kind of being together with Jahan and Terry and, and all the skilled guys. And he he didn't say like, yeah, it's great. We have guys that are fast. We have guys that are versatile. He said we have guys that are smart and can right. learn the offense. And that is what you need to, to make this all work. And they've got it. Um, but specific to the tempo thing as well, and this kind of ties together, like there's a speed you got to operate at, a speed you got to think. And there was a play yesterday. They were in, I think it was red zone at the end of practice, or sorry, two minute at the end of practice. And the enemy's like, hey, we got to get to the line faster. The shot clock's running down. And I looked at the play clock and 
you know, the enemy's still on the, on the walkie talkie, getting the, the play into Sam's headset. And there's like 12 on the shot clock. That's not something you can actually do in a game that that quarterback headset in their helmet goes off at 15. Like you yeah. cannot be talking to the quarterback. So obviously it's the spring. There's a work in progress, but that's the kind of stuff where the is locked in on that. And he knows this and he'll probably go back in the meeting and be like, guys, we can't be that slow to the line of scrimmage because I literally cannot get Sam to play at that point. Right. So there, there's going to be those kinds of details that have to be worked out. But I think this is obviously now now on June 1st, but through May of, of OTA is like very, very encouraging, good process that we'll see if it pays off in the fall. But like this is this is all you could ask for right now. Yeah, man, I totally agree. And I think, you know, when he says it's a wordy play call, like, you know, these are classic, classic West Coast, West Coast uh, verbiage plays. They're, they're not overly I mean that to you or to me no to me they, they sound familiar I, I like like right. this I like this. I have not been in a west coast office I like the way they sound because it goes you know here's the formation here's the protection and here's the play call and in the play call you know EB does a really good job of like tagging individual people right hey you know f zebra this um x this you know whatever and so it does sound long but I do think it's it's much different than what they were in last year and if you've been in if you've been in that Scott Turner verbiage for a long time. I think one of the things is it's so it's so pithy and concise. But when you're in a West Coast system, you got to know what to listen for, right? So for a receiver, it's formation, and then I literally listen for the concept that I'm hit, hitting, right? And so it's literally two words. It'll be 15 words, 12, 15 words potentially. That's probably a little bit high, 10 to 10 to 12 words. But when that word comes, I know what I need to be doing. Right. And I think that's something that, again, it just takes time to get used to a different type of, you know, offensive system. And, you know, I think I've said this before, like the system schematically is very similar from a philosophy standpoint to, to what Scott was doing. And, and, and that's really high level. That's like, you know, really, really high level, like very, very general, but this is a West coast offense in terms of verbiage and a West coast offense in terms of how they emphasize the three-step drop and the five-step drop, which basically, as we've talked about on this show, did not exist in Scott Turner's offense. So that's another thing that I think is really exciting. Like Scott Turner was, hey, we're going seven step, we're reading deep to short. And is there an advantage there? 1000% there's advantages there. And there's concepts in this offense that read the same way, but the total reliance on that is just different now, right? The five-step stuff doesn't stress the O-line. It's these concepts where we're running like a stop at five yards. We're running a dig behind it. We're running it through. We're trying to create easy throwing windows for the quarterback. And I, and again, I just – and it's because I grew up in these offenses. Like I, I was in a West Coast offense in college with EB. He was the first one. Mm -hmm. They kept it for five years. I was in a West Coast offense for, shoot, 10 years, nine years in the NFL. Houston was on a West Coast offense technically by verbiage. So – I, I feel really comfortable and I like that, but I, I think this is the way offenses are going is, is they're doing a better job of incorporating these traditional West Coast com uh, concepts with these deeper kind of shot plays, which there are shot plays that look very similar to what Scott was doing. So I, I don't know. I just, I, the, the layering and the depth of the, the depth of the offense is the thing that I think is the most exciting when you go to practice or when you watch it, it's just like, the, here's the three step, here's the screens, here's, um, you know, the five step stuff, which again, there was not a lot of five step stuff. And then there's, here's the shot plays and it's all there. It's just about how do I sequence this? And when do I call it? And what, and really finding out, I think what this team is good at also is another element. Right. 
Yeah, definitely. And the sequencing and stuff like that, we're not going to know until until the regular season. There's no training camp. There's no nothing that's going to tell us like how EB is going to call a game when when it's time to call a game. Um, and that's obviously a huge part of the potential success. Last thing on the verbiage, like the the basic West Coast play calls are not that complicated. Like, no, like no. we've talked about before, um, you know, we and we've done like full episodes on verbiage because um, we're nerds and we enjoy that stuff. Mm. Um, but like when you start adding those tags, when you start adding motions, when you start adding shifts, like that's the stuff where it gets really wordy. And it, you you take a very basic play like Dragon Lion, and all of a sudden it's like you know Z or Zebra Orbit shifts to this that blah 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 Dragon Lion X yeah. go, and then it's like I I don't know if that even made sense in terms of the concept, but like you get the point that like you take this very simple thing and tag a bunch of stuff on it. And I, I think the other thing that Samuel said yesterday that that was great, that goes to the teaching of this is that it, he said, it's not that hard when you understand why, and they've mm -hmm. done a really, really good job of making sure that players not just understand, like it's not a memorization exercise. They actually understand why they're doing all the different things. And at that point it makes sense. You're not just regurgitating a foreign language. Yeah. You're actually speaking it because you understand what you're saying or what's being said to you. And, and you see that. I mean, when you're watching practice, I mean, again, it, it's just so impressive the level of detail they've been. And, you know, this they're just scratching the surface, obviously. But, for example, like. And that's the crazy yeah. thing. They're just scratching the surface. Yeah. It's June. Now. Yeah, like, like Logan Thomas, for example. Like, I see him running basics, which is basically like a 12 to 14 yard in cut. And you can run it from a tight attached like a tight end. Or you can run it from a wide receiver position. Obviously, the stem is going to be different from each spot. Like from a tight end spot, you're going to stem out. From a receiver spot, you're probably going to step in. But him understanding, you know, and I think getting the freedom probably too. It's, it's a it's a coach also that lets you do this. Is to on the on the in cut. A lot of people just say keep running, right? We want to clear voids, want to find windows. But him kind of running it and then bending it in front of the linebacker that's dropping into coverage and creating an easy throw for the quarterback. And that's kind of how. Kelsey, that's one of the things that makes him exceptional is the ability to kind of like maximize the route you're running versus the coverage you're getting. And to see that already starting to sprinkle in, it means that they're coaching that, right? They've, they, you know, EB probably learned that from Travis and now we can coach it to the tight ends and coach it to the receivers. And again, that level of, that level of detail is so cool. And I think for a guy like Logan, you know, we're going to talk about some of these guys maybe more specifically in a second. But that's huge, right? Because he's not like this great separator. He's not like overly twitchy in the short area the way Jordan Reed was or the way Aaron Hernandez or even Travis Kelsey is, right? He's a long strider who gets open kind of on uh, longer developing concepts. And for him to kind of say, this is how I'm seeing the coverage and be able to get open is just going to magnify what he does really well. So I don't know. It, it's Again, it's the fifth or sixth practice, whatever it is. So it, it's it's I know it sounds like we're gushing over it. But and we are a little bit, but it, and, but we also understand that there's a long way to go. But it is very different, I think, to your right. point, Craig, about going to watch practice. It's very different now than it was last year at this time, and and it's crazy to think because the offense is completely new. So the the standard is right. so different. Now. Yet in many ways, they're they're miles yeah, ahead. It feels that it, it kind of feels that way, and I and I and I want to touch on practice a little bit before we get to the next segment. Like, yeah, no, I I do too. Um, but go ahead and finish this. Yeah, part. so I was going to say is like. I do think you're seeing a little bit now this is hard to kind of predict, but I think you're seeing a little bit of a slowing from Sam. And I think a little bit of that is related to 
the defense getting more used to covering the concepts um, that they're that they're seeing. Right? Is is in the cover three match? The windows are a little bit smaller. Sam's not throwing the football, and I'm so mad at myself. I didn't point this out when they did blitz pickup, but it's true is you're not game planning for these pressures and you're not game planning for these coverages. You're just kind of running your stuff. And I think at some point the defense is going to match the stuff better and they're going to know how to kind of find the holes in what you're doing better because offensively you're just saying we're installing. We're not we're doing, so to speak. So I think that's a huge element for fans and for, for me and for any analyst watching to keep in mind is like, they are not trying to exploit the rules of the coverages the defense is running. They're just installing routes and screens and protections. Right. Um, I do want to get into like player performance in a second. Uh, there's a couple guys, specifically Howell and Forbes, I want to talk yeah. about based off of practice. But one more bigger concept that I thought was pretty fascinating um, yesterday, getting to see it in person. And we've talked about how much more they're, they're working on the screen game and, and things like that. But I was kind of amazed at how much off-platform throwing they are practicing. In the and individuals? In the individuals and, and in, I mean, I guess really it's in the individuals, but like they're doing some of the, the stuff on air as yeah. well, where it's like get the screens out and, and things like that. So often it's like, how do we get our guy onto a good platform to throw? as opposed to just kind of accepting it's the NFL and you're just going to be a lot of stuff that happens less than ideal. And it, it seems like they kind of went, okay, how can we use fading back to our advantage? How can we use throwing off our back foot to our advantage? And, you know, part of this is the offense the last couple of years, and even to an extent under Gruden, um, was not super heavy in screen in the screen game. So there was less variety to the screens that you're seeing um, and thus these kinds of things happen less often. Um, but at the same time, just a lot of like fading back, you're on your back foot, lofted over a defensive end and, and hit the screen in timing, um, or you're running this and then you turn and like kind of jump throw back to the other side. Mm. And it's the kind of stuff that I feel like it gives you a heart attack as a coach, which is why most coaches don't coach it. And EB's like, no, this is going to happen in a game. So let's make sure that we know how to do it and we do it well. And that the velocity on the throw is right. The trajectory is right. The footwork, even if it's non-traditional, is correct. And I asked Sam about it afterwards, too. And he said, like, he actually works on that stuff with his private quarterback coach as well. Um, and more quarterbacks obviously are. But I, I guess, like, my thing, Logan, was watching it in person. You know, we, we watch Mahomes in, in awe and wonder and just like, wow, he's so creative and he does all this stuff off the cuff. It's not like some of it is like EB's not drawing up him falling down and Mahomes throwing a ball 50 yard submarine as he's as his knuckles scrape the ground in the Super Bowl. Uh, the one that hit Tyreek Hill in the helmet uh, and, and fell to the ground. Um, but there is a lot of that stuff that is planned, that is practiced, that is rehearsed and. Um, I, I think that really stuck out to me or stood out to me yesterday that like they they really practice these kinds of non-traditional things that are going to help them make big plays in games because it manipulates the defense in a way that really sells like, oh, God, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Oh, dink screen. And now now you got space to work with. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe that's less surprising to me because I you know, we, we're both strengths and conditioning coaches and I work more probably in the area of skill acquisition. And so when I talk to, you know, sure. high school quarterbacks, Absolutely. college quarterbacks, even NFL quarterbacks to a certain extent, like obviously the off-platform stuff is becoming more and more common, you know, and I think, you know, when I first got in the league, you wanted the guy to be on time and on target. And then 
as analytics started becoming more popular in the game, and I think there's a correlation here. I don't know. Um, you'd have to talk to people who are kind of at the forefront of this movement. People realize like, hey, man, like 60% of your offense usually is off schedule. So mm-hmm. how do I handle off schedule, off rhythm footwork? And how do I handle like an off off platform arm angle? And again, you don't want guys living and dying by that, but you want to give them kind of a athletic foundation for some of that stuff, right? And in the context of what you're talking about with the screens, I think it's more, it's way more likely you'll see it. And I think when, um, even with Kyle and Sean, and you know, when I went down to Atlanta with Sarkeesian and up up to New York with Dal, uh, Dal Loggins, like one of the things they talked about is how do I, because you're going to have a free rusher on the screen usually. So how do I manipulate my arm angle to get the football to the running back. And I think with screens specifically, especially if you're going to do them a lot, you need to practice that a lot. You need to practice how I'm going to feather away from the rush. How can I get my arm? How do I get the defender's hands up or down? And that's a huge part of an effective screen game. And so one of the things I wanted to point out here, and it's not to like trample on you or anything like that, like these screens they're running are very, very conventional screens. They are just yeah oh no I a hundred percent like no they're that. just and it's really just, good we at haven't it. seen them here they're just good at it. and yeah. they practice these kind of details right that you can see the O line like when you watch Kansas City film and when you watch film here now everyone understands their role in the screen and that wasn't something that yes. was big last year the window dressing which you talked about it gives the illusion of complexity for a very simple screen so I think that that's all. That's all really interesting. And I think it's just, again, it's the it's the detail work, taking something very benign and making it exceptional by coaching. Hey, if you're the third offensive lineman out, you're going to be the rat killer. you got to kill any pursuit. If you're the first guy out, make sure you don't run down the field, run lateral down the line of scrimmage. Like those details you see coming through here. And, and again, the quarterback launch angle, the point, the arm angle, how do I get the ball to the back and not put this floater lollipop over the top where these super athletic defensive linemen can make a play on it. So I totally agree, man. And I think, um, you know, obviously you want to practice that. And obviously that's a priority. But it's, again, the the, the minutia, the minutia of what they're doing is something that I think is is pretty special. So, Right. And, th- and that's what I'm saying, right? Like nothing you said is jockeying yeah. me um, or I don't I don't feel trampled <laughs> on. Um, like it's it's just the crispness and the the attention to detail and like hey we're gonna make sure this is a hundred percent correct because man like going back to when cousins was here like kirk's a very good quarterback and does a lot of things really well that dude threw so many lollipops on screens and and he would just like it just felt like he was like i don't know i'll get the ball to the running back and got chris Tom poor chris thompson would just get obliterated or ball get knocked down or you know if if a defensive lineman could catch it would have been a pick six like that kind of stuff felt like it happened all the time in the last couple of years like the screen game has not been a big part of what they they've done which is amazing considering the talent they have to run it um they did do i feel like a little bit more with the wide receiver screen game last year with terry and jahan but it felt like Scott was checking boxes with it as opposed to um, even already what this feels like where, again, this is a fundamental piece of what they're doing. Like they're installing their base offense and they've got what feels like a zillion screens. It's really a couple with some window dressing on it, Um, but they've got all this stuff in already. And the sheer volume is just is different and more. And um, I think will lead to them being successful in the fall because like this is going to be second nature to them. This is who they are. No, I agree. And, um, you know, it's so funny, um, you know, like I coach high school football and I'm the OC and we're putting stuff in. And one of the things I'm having a hard time with is screens, right? Because the details, like I'm like, man, the quarterback can't get the ball there. 
But, you know, after watching EB at practice, I'm like, he's he's coaching the quarterback in his footwork, in the arm position. He's coaching the offensive line to widen this guy. Like, all – and that's why they're good at screens, right? Because they prioritize running the heck out of screens. And so, um, I don't know. I think that's really interesting. And, and again, it's so early. It's so early in the process. And I know we're kind of gushing over this. But anytime you see something where the level of detail is super high and the standard is very high, like that gets me as a player who's been around people with very high standards, it gets me very excited. And I think fans should, should be excited. They should be cautiously optimistic about the direction of this offense. Cause ultimately like we could, you know, Craig, you know, you and I could go coach the best high school game plan of all time, but the guy's got to go execute it. And you've got a whole bunch of guys totally. who Sam Howell specifically, who are going to have to develop to make this go. And I think that that, that, that is the thing that is the ultimate X factor in this is how do these guys develop? Cause like I said, Sam is taken, I don't know. He slowed a little bit. Right. But again, it's, it's not all him. It's, it's the defense is getting better. The stuff's getting better. He's still making excellent throws. He still looks very sharp. He still looks better than Carson Wentz did at this point. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things to be excited about, but ultimately he's got to make this go and he's got to make EB's vision come to life. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Let's talk about Sam Howell and the day he had yesterday. I don't know if you got a chance to skim practice from Tuesday as well. Um, Yesterday, I feel like was a pretty mixed bag for Sam. Um, I felt like he really struggled to read the middle of the field in a lot of places where he got in trouble. A lot of the batted balls, uh, the pick he threw that got tipped by Quan Martin and and picked by Cody Barton. Uh, I think that was in... Was that seven on seven? Might have been a team. The, I watched um, both the practices back but, to back Tuesday and Wednesday, so they were kind of just yeah. mushed. But yeah, yeah. So he had he had a pick that was over the middle, and just a, a lot of you know balls that either would have been picked or would have caused massive collisions over the middle of the field. But he's also you know doing the Sam Howell stuff where he has beautiful ball down the sideline, and like when he just knows like I've got the coverage look, and and I think that's the thing that you start to notice is like when he's certain of the coverage and he knows he can take his shots, like he delivers. But you know he that that certainty is not always going to turn out to be correct. That's the nature of the NFL, and that's going to happen once every 
you know, once every couple of drives that you have the ability to take a shot like that, you've got to execute the the basics of the offense, the short stuff, the quick game. And that is where I think he, at least yesterday, seemed to struggle a little bit. That was my takeaway from the sideline, getting to watch it all live one time. You got to watch the film. Uh, what did you see when you, you saw how not only yesterday, but on Tuesday? Um, yeah, so I think I don't disagree with what you're saying. And I think you're seeing kind of some of the growing pains that Sam is having in the offense. But you know, just as an example, just as a very simple example, they're in a bunch to the left in seven on seven, right? And um, the outside guy's got a dig. The inside guy's got a, uh, the middle guy, the guy on the ball has a go. And the um, third guy, Logan Thomas, has a sit to an out, right? And so one of the things is the defense is matched with four coverage players over this bunch. And when you have the four coverage players over the bunch, you have to understand kind of, and this is where game planning comes in how I want to manipulate those four coverage players. So they're running this go, and that's going to take out the top coverage player, and it's going to open up the dig. The outside corner is going to match the dig and be chasing in a trail position, right? Logan Thomas now has two people to run this kind of option out route on. In a game plan situation, if you're game planning for this defense, you're going to ask Logan Thomas to stem in and attack the inside defender, who I think is Cody Barton in this case, and then run out and try to bring him with him to create a throwing window for Sam. Unfortunately, you're not game planning for your defense. So Logan runs straight and he runs out, not understanding. And it's not his fault because they're not talking about it probably. And then run it out. So the outside coverage player matches Logan. Cody Barton just stays in the throwing window. And then Sam has to kind of deliver a perfect throw on that coverage, right? So if you're coaching that coverage, if you're coaching that concept versus that coverage, you're going to run a little differently. And I think that's what you're starting to see now is the defense, A, is just doing a really good job of matching concepts. And we'll talk about Forbes and some of these other guys in a minute. But they, the throwing windows are so much tighter. They're not, so for ex another example, right? So you're running a, a go on the outside and you're running a corner by number two. And you're running a flat coming across the middle by number three. So you get like a nice three-level throw. You want that corner to carry that go right? But they're getting so good now in the back end of passing it off. So they ran that concept yesterday, right? The ball should be going to the corner based on coverage. It was like a quarters look. Instead of Fuller running with the um, running with the go and then Percy Butler attacking that corner outside in, they just exchanged it. And so Percy ran with the go and Fuller sat on the corner and there's no place to go with the football. And it's just, they are doing a really good job of matching these concepts, which again, are not game plan specific concept because if you know that that's going to happen you're going to basically say we're going to run a deep post by number or deep corner by number one and a corner by number two and then you're getting a corner on a guy with outside leverage so you're not going to run that concept if that's how they're going to play that and so i think some of his struggles some of sam's struggles are definitely correlated to the defense playing better and these windows getting incredibly tight and we're also getting into a little bit you know in the team period yesterday was a little bit more kind of shot type plays, which are tough, especially if they're off of play action and the defense knows you're not going to run the football. Because as we talked about, they're not running the football in this training camp or in this OTA. Right. Period. They're not doing it. So all of the benefit of play action, all of kind of the pull and the movement you get off of that, it's not it's not here because you're not running the ball. So uh, some of that stuff is definitely true. Um, it, Sam is definitely having a hard time. He's holding the ball a little bit longer or whatever. But I also think the defense deserves a ton of credit for understanding these concepts and how to match these concepts really well and the young guys in the back end are doing a really nice job really really nice job so um 
you know, and even, even on the completions, man, the throws are so tight. Like yesterday there was a throw where Terry's running a uh, 15 yard in cut. So basically like a dig, like a speed dig at 15. Mm-hmm. Sam does a good job working to the left. The ball's got to go to Terry Forbes is calling to Forrest to tell him to cut the dig. And that, it probably would have been a PBU if they had pads on, right? Because he's breaking on that football. So great communication by those young guys on the back end to a very, very tight window throw to a to an excellent route and a very nice delivery on the ball. So at some point, the defense is going to catch up to the offense because they've seen the same concepts. And and I think what at least what I when I went and watched practice last week, they are walking through the concepts they're seeing in practice. So what I mean by that is an individual period. They get all the the scout team guys with white with with yellow hats on, and they walk through the route right. concepts. So for the day, EB gives a script to the defensive coaches and says, "This is what we're running," and the defensive players have to know because you have to prep that. You can't just go out there and, and try to execute your defense versus whatever. You have to have some idea of route concepts, and so they're helping each other out. They're making each other better. But I think that's part of the reason why you see some of these struggles from Sam, I, I think, you know what I mean? And you're kind yeah. of getting out of what also what he does well, you know, he's good at getting kind of the ball out of his hand quickly. So earlier in, in the, in the OTA period, it was a lot of quick game, a lot of five step. And now you're into kind of some deeper shot plays. And obviously they did two minute and stuff yesterday too. So there's that, but I think the defense is just, they're, they're doing a good job and they deserve credit. In addition to Sam kind of I don't know, like, you know, having some young guy growing pains a little bit, you know, so. Yeah, which is expected. This is his fifth practice as QB1, and and there you go. Meanwhile, um, I thought it was interesting. Rivera said uh, before practice yesterday when he was asked about Brissett, like, what how, what do you see from him? And he's like, his ball placement is pristine. Mm-hmm. And I think you saw that yesterday. Like, I think as these windows get tighter, you see where Jacoby just understands exactly where the ball needs to be. And I thought he had a pretty good day yesterday, um, maybe a better day than than Hal, which is not me saying uh, that he should be the starter by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Um, but I think on on that given day, uh, playing with and against the twos in significantly less reps. And that's another thing I thought was interesting is like even in two minute, like the ones were the only ones that got two minute yesterday. All the twos were like, what? How you blow, yeah. how you blowing the horn now? Um, right. So but I thought Brissett was really, really good. I will say this about Brissett. Throwing a football is so easy for him. It's gross. Yeah. Like yeah. it just looks like he's playing soft toss in, in the backyard with a the seven year old and he throws the ball 30 yards in the air, f- you know, 50 yards downfield. And it just yeah. like the motion is so easy. It was pretty wild to see in person, uh, the arm strength that he has. Um, Forbes is a guy that I wanted to ask you about. And this is one where you kind of need the tape to, to review it. Mm-hmm. He is so physical and so hands on and, I wonder how much of, and like, he's got his hands on a bunch of footballs, no picks yesterday, but multiple PBUs. There's one against Terry that it got talked about a lot because it looked like he went to go kind of help Terry up afterwards and Terry shook him off. I don't know whether that was kind of just Mm. like a, no, we're on opposite teams right now. Screw you kind of competitiveness, whether there was like some John happening, whether uh, he was, you know, they were joking. I don't, I don't know what it was, but that one kind of got some attention. But on the play, like Forbes is all over him, and and I do wonder, Logan, as you watch it on film and have the ability to to rewatch it and and maybe get some better angles than we do on the sideline live. Is this a dude that's just going to get called for a bunch of penalties this year, or is he playing this clean and is is he having as good of an OTA period as as it seems like he's having? Uh, where his hands are seeming on every football that comes in his direction. Yeah, I mean, I think yesterday was kind of like an awesome day for him. And so I know people were talking about the Terry one, but the play 
three plays before was the one where he, he had a PBU on Jahan. And I thought actually mm-hmm. that one, I probably would have been like, that's probably borderline PI. And so what happened is basically Jahan's running a comeback. And I do think this is another thing where Sam's still kind of feeling out the relationship between the receiver, like the ball should be out, you know, and he kind of holds it for like, it's, it's a nanosecond, but it's enough time for Forbes to kind of grab uh, Jahan's left hip, give a little tug. Jahan kind of falls off the spot and it, I don't know if it would get called, but I would probably call it based on the angle I had. And then is able to break. Yeah, the you process. offensive player, you right? I mean, you know, I, like what, I I got my own biases. What can I say? <laughs> um, and so, like to me, that one was more egregious. I actually thought the one versus Terry was like pretty clean. You know, I think yeah. like I I, watch, I remember watching that one probably four or five times, like kind of trying to discern like what Terry gave away in his break that let Forbes jump it so acutely, right? And so, what I mean by that is like, what is Terry's indicator on his route? And the only thing I could say is that Terry kind of sits down just it's ever so slightly. It's like an inch. So his hat will drop like an inch. And right when his hat drops, Forbes is breaking on the cut on, on the comeback, you know, and I think uh, and that's something I've always kind of been a little bit critical of Terry is that like he's a he's a very efficient route runner, but he's not an elite route runner the same way like, you know, Justin Jefferson or Stefan Diggs is right. A guy that is going to use that subtle head dip to kind of get the guy to false, uh, you know, give him a false read, false indicator, push to his depth. That guy's out of his back pedal. And then now we're running the comeback, right? He's he's going to run it like it's kind of drawn on paper a little bit. And so I think Forbes just kind of said, I get it. I know what you're doing. I'm going to make a pass here. And so there's those two plays. And I'd say one of them is probably a PI, you know, if I'm being, uh, you know, kind of tic-tac. But I think after watching him yesterday, like he looked like, first round draft pick, right? He looked like one of the best corners in the draft and, and you feel good about it. And it wasn't just the PBUs. It's also the understanding of the coverages, right? Calling guys to, to, to cut, to cut passes. And he's doing that all the time, understanding this guy goes in, this guy's coming out. I got to get back. He did have like a, um, a near miss in the red zone to Jahan. I thought where he's, he's getting a little nosy trying to pick something off. I think it was an out route. Jahan's running a corner in the back of the end zone. He's probably got to fall off that. And, and be there um the ball is too deep and Jahan's out of the end zone but I do think like that was the one where there was one second left in the period correct I think. yeah that's a ball that Sam needed to put on John yeah and it was uh and obviously it's a tough throw because like there's you know yeah. like they've kind of contorted the defense to make a tight window here and that was the other thing man like he did such a nice job I'm talking about Forbes now they're running a um they're running like a scissors concept I don't even know if it was scissors but basically like a big corner and you got someone in the flat and usually you want the corner to kind of get nosy on the flat. And he plays it perfectly in between. So the quarterback can't layer the ball to the corner, but he also but he can't throw it to the flat because the corner Forbes is kind of right in between in a perfect way to kind of uh, kind of condense both windows, right? And Sam's got to hold the ball and then check the football down. And I say, wow, like that's – so to me, I, I, th- I thought Forbes had a great day yesterday. You know, I don't know what he's saying to Terry. I don't know all that smack talk, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But I thought he looked he looked very sharp. And against the two number one receivers, you know, on this team, like he had winning reps, in my opinion, especially in OTAs, PI, whatever you want to say. And then all the other stuff that he's doing in zone coverages, because, you know, one of the things you talked to Fred Smoot when you watched the film from him at Mississippi State, he had a really good feel for zone in a way that the other guys in the class didn't have necessarily. So I think um, – I just think he had a great day, you know, and I think he deserves yeah. to be being talked about at a really high level. So, yeah, no, I thought he was great. Um, man, when you see him in person, those legs are skinny. They are skinny. He, He's a skinny dude, guy. Dude, dude, dude can play some ball. Um, 
yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting too to watch the alignment stuff. Um, they seem to now be open to him playing inside. Uh, Iran, Ron said before practice yesterday, he's, they've been, they were like, yeah, we'll throw him in there, see what happens. And I think they may have expected like the Brandon Sheriff at tackle experiment. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, we we know what we're, we got here. We got a guard or we got an outside corner. And they said, Iran said they've been so impressed by his quickness that he might wind up playing some inside. And I do sure. think that there's going to be some versatility between him, BSJ. Um, Kendall hasn't played in there yet so far in the spring, but Ron did keep that door open. Um, and it sounded like maybe it would be more in like a safety ish role, which he's mm. played a little bit in the past necessarily, uh, or not necessarily like a true nickel. Um, so whether it's the Buffalo or, you know, kind of a safety who comes down in the box, but it's actually Kendall, like it seems like they've got some plans to, to kind of mix up who is where and, and try to confuse offenses a little bit. I don't know how much offenses really care about that. Um, but it is something where you might be able to get a playmaker like an Emmanuel Forbes in a more advantageous position against certain offenses to get his nose in there and, and, you know, be around the football. And obviously that's what they drafted him for is to create turnovers. And so if you can get him in a place where he's more apt to do that based off a certain offense, that seems like a good thing, obviously. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think so. I kind of am on the fence about how serious they are about this. I think Forbes can play inside. I think that's great. Ultimately, though, I think he's going to be your, one of your better outside corners, right? And I think agreed. I think they're they're doing the right thing. They're going to cross train these guys, like kind of like you would an offensive line. Like you're going to have you know, your tackle play guard, your guard play some tackle, just in case there's an injury, just in case we so we can get the best guys out on the field. So for, I mean, just as an example, let's say BSJ and Kendall Fuller are playing crazy good. Right, you're not going to have you know Wild Goose come in and play nickel when you got Forbes, your first round pick on the bench, right? If he can right. play nickel, so I think it's just good process. I I don't think that's how it's going to shake out. I think BSJ will probably play nickel, and I think Forbes will probably play outside. At least that's what my gut tells me. But yeah, you know, I there's agree. still a lot of football uh, left. So um, you know, all the flexibility that they have in the secondary, all the all the, all the flexibility they have from a personnel standpoint, <clears throat> is only going to help them it's only going to let them get the best guys on the field put guys in good positions to be successful you know percy butler and Forrest have done a great job um you know Forrest had a maybe a small miss yesterday i can't remember exactly the play but overall been extremely solid percy same thing and so you know you get that flexibility yeah, they're doing all this without cam even being on yeah. the field yet and so like that that back end is uh and then obviously you mentioned uh kwan how he's looked in certain coverage situations been great um so my hat's off to that group because like i think that group's going to they just look sharper. They look sharper than they did last year. They look more dialed in and they've got young, fast athletes back there. So on the whole, I think that position flexibility is great, but I think it's, if I was going to put money on it now, and again, we're five practices in, I'd say he's going to play outside. That's what I would yeah, say. No, I, I, I agree, but it's good to know that he can play inside for all the reasons that you said. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Craig Hoffman here, Logan Paulson there. Let's wrap up. Uh, we'll do another episode of Nick's Numbers. The the reviews are in. We love <laughs> we love Nick's Numbers. We'll do that again on Monday with some of the defensive guys. But I wanted to wrap up with uh, a pretty interesting little tidbit that Ron Rivera shared yesterday at the start of his press conference. John Kime, our buddy, our pal, asked him about Sam Howell's uh, improvement from the start of OTAs. And Ron revealed one of the ways they're coaching him in the answer. Um, one of the things that we're doing uh, is something we, we had done when I was in 
in way back when I was in uh, in Chicago. But uh, we mic Sam up uh, so we can listen to him, the way he's handling the, the, the huddle calls, how he's handling things at the line of scrimmage. Uh, it's given us a lot of insight in, into that. Uh, we're going to do it with all our quarterbacks, but we started with Sam um, last week. And uh, so it, it's real interesting to watch the way you can see he's stepping into the huddle. He's taking charge, taking command. And it's one of the things that, you know, when you listen to Eric and you guys will hear him, you know, when something happens, he'll tell the quarterback, hey, you got to take charge. And you're starting to see that. I had never heard of this, Logan. Uh, it's yeah. obviously not new. Uh, Ron said he's done it in Chicago. I'm guessing EB's done it before. Sam also said he had never had any coach do this with him before. But I think it's pretty fascinating, and I kind of think it's pretty genius that they're they're miking up their quarterback when they've put such an emphasis on that communication being important to their offense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's <clears throat> that's a pretty cool thing. I just, you know, right when this happened, I remember thinking back to when um, you know, Donovan was here and I was a rookie and Donovan was learning the offense and he would come in and say the wrong play. But a lot of guys were new to the offense, so they didn't know. So Kyle would come in afterwards and be like, what did he say? And no one could articulate exactly what he said. It's like, oh, he told me to do this. And then, you know, like, this is what happened. And that's why we did this. Right. But they didn't know for sure. Right. And so I think obviously just from like a getting the play out standpoint, it's helpful. But where I think the real value in this lies is at the line of scrimmage because, you know, the quarterback is calling the protections. And so what that means is like, for example, on like a like a two or three jet projection protection. So you're going to have a man side and a slide side and the back is going to work to the man side. Right. And so on the slide side, you're going to work to the will linebacker, right? So if you had three linebackers, they're going to work to the will. And it's up to the quarterback to kind of say, this is the mic. And so if the quarterback is calling the wrong player the mic, then the O-line is going to go to the wrong person. And so to me, having that ability to be like, hey, man, because I remember I'd play with quarterbacks and, and they, you know, they'd forget or they wouldn't, you know, whatever. They, they'd mic the wrong guy. And then it would kind of like be like this he said, she said between the offensive line of like, the quarterback mic this guy and the quarterback's like no i mic this guy and so now with this with this audio system in you get to line of scrimmage and it's like you can hear sam's voice i'm sure just being like mike 57 and it's like okay so everyone knows now the o-line's working to number 50 you know what i mean like that's the type of thing you're getting here and the back has to know right um and so i think that that's something that to me is extremely valuable is kind of cleaning up this he says, she said, or the quarterback didn't get the play in exactly right. Um, and so uh, I think it's great, especially with a young, especially with a young quarterback, that ability to be like, no, man, like you got to, you got to say this. Or the other thing, just, just from my own personal preference was uh, quarterbacks that had a specific way of delivering the, um, delivering the play, right? So when I play with Matt Schaub in Atlanta, he had a really nice way of being like, you know, we talked about formation, protection, and then tags. And so he would get in the huddle and be like, here's the formation and give a little, not, not a long pause, but a little bit of a, a beat. And he'd point to the O-line and be like, three jet. And then he'd go around the huddle and be like, Z this, F this, T this, right? And then he was like, all right, no one should screw that up because he just pointed at you as he went, right? And that was a very specific thing to him. And I thought, you know, I didn't need it at that point in my career, but for all the guys who were a little bit younger, it was a great tool. So I think this is an awesome kind of coaching tool that allows you to check to make sure the information is getting it correctly. You could probably give them some advice. Hey, man, take a little bit more time. Make sure you emphasize the motion a little bit more. We got to make sure they hear that. And then the mic stuff at the line of scrimmage, you know, or calling the protections, I think is 
that to me is is probably where the biggest advantage lies. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that there's also, you know, you would know better than me, obviously, because you've been in thousands of NFL huddles and I've been in zero. Uh, but there's certain quarterbacks, from what I understand, that will give little coaching points or like, yeah. hey, you know, if it's cover two, Terry, I'm coming to you. Like, right. you know, th these little things and, and how it one is that communication happening and two, how is it happening? Like, is it productive? Is it, right. you know, is it the quarterback being overloaded? Is he wrong? <laughs> you know, that would be yeah. a huge problem. Hey, we're, we're calling, you know, play XYZ. Terry, it's cover two. I'm coming to you. And EB can be like, no, if it's no. covered three, you're going to that guy. What are you doing? Yeah. So that there's, I think there's just so much information to be gleaned. And, you know, for an offense that is wordy uh, and, and for a coaching staff that puts such an emphasis on communication, it would make sense to give yourself the tools to coach the communication. Right. No, I think that's right. And I think, you know, kind of to your point about the hints in the huddle, um, you know, like none of it, because because the coverages are so nuanced now, you don't get those same like, "Hey man, stay alive" versus this anymore. Like you might get like, yeah. um, you might get like the, the this is. I remember Matt doing this. He'd be like, "Hey man, remember if you get pressed, this is a go." You know what I mean? Just like reminding the receiver, um, based on down and distance, so it's third and five. They like to press, you know, and instead of running a hitch, like you're running a go, so he can kind of ensure right. that that guy knows, you know. And I think, you know, the, the receiver's not saying I'm running a go. He's saying, oh, yeah, that's right. That's the coaching point on this. Or like when I played with um, – who was I playing with? It doesn't really matter. But they would be like, hey, man, remember you're standing up on this to me. And I'd be like, yeah. And, and I would know, but it was always nice to kind of have someone who had your back, if that makes sense. And it just confirms you're on the same page. Absolutely correct. Yeah, and it's just – it's a nice like – and it's not this long like, hey, I'm throwing you the ball, but it's like – Hey man, like this is our shot play, for example, and they're running a jolt. Hey, just reminder, be patient. Here we go. And say the play. You know what I'm saying? It's just a little like, Hey, this is what I'm expecting. And it's like, right. He wants me to be patient. Let's do it like that. And then, Oh, Hey, this is this protection and the O lines all dialed in. Hey man, I'm half rolling. Remember? And, and they all know that, but it's just a nice, like, this is what we're doing on this play. And I, it's, it's not as detailed as like, Hey, it's this coverage. I'm coming here. It's just like, these are the little checks and balances that he's expecting or, you know, like, hey, if, if it's if it's cover two, make sure you keep this corner flat. Bang. And mm -hmm. we're going to the we're going to the play, you know, so. Right. And, you know, that can be overdone as well. And so that could be something where if, if Sam's trying to do too much of that stuff, EB can pull it back. Like we obviously don't know what's going on, but they do because they've mic'd it up. Uh, the one thing I did want to ask you, Logan, uh, is what what are some other like cool coaching techniques innovations that you've seen in your 10 years in the league? Uh, because I thought this one was, was, I mean, again, it's not unique. Um, Ron did it way back when Ron was in Chicago, which was in the 2000, it was in the aughts. Like he got to Carolina in like 2011. So we're talking way, way long ago. Um, so not new by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly innovative and certainly something that, that a lot of coaches aren't doing. Um, but anything in particular that you saw during your career that you thought was really cool and innovative in terms of kind of an advanced coaching technique? Yeah. I mean, I've got three things. And so again, I came in 2010 and, you know, I went to a pretty big school in UCLA, but what I, over the course of my 10 year career, one of the things that I thought was really cool was when teams were like, Hey man, you know, the most important downs in football are third down and red zone. Why are those the last days of our install? <laughs> you know what I mean? Why are those the last days that we're doing? And so for a long time, for probably, I don't know, my first four or five years, three, four, three, four years in the NFL, we would do first and second down and we would do third down on day like three and then we do red zone on day like seven. And as you've seen already with EB being here, 
Now teams have transitioned to like, hey, we're working two minute, we're working third down, we're working red zone. And those things are almost your, they're not your first day install, but they're damn close. You know what I mean? And so that's, I think is pretty, uh, pretty innovative. The other thing that was innovative during my time that I really liked was when they started recording uh, walkthrough, uh, recording individuals, excuse me, because if you're working a new technique and you do it in individuals, you could never see it. You didn't be like, am I doing it right? Am I kind of just going off the coach? So if they needed that feedback, they could be like, hey, we got this on tape. Let's watch this real quick. And so that's, again, it seems like something silly, but at this level, like every little inch and in detail matters. And then probably the guy that, and I know you don't like him, but uh, Bill, <laughs> Cal- Bill, Bill, Bill Callahan and the way he was able to find all of these special strength exercises to develop offensive linemen with the techniques that he wanted and really find like, to me, there's, it's not an accident that he yeah, goes to a place totally. and creates really good offensive line groups. And, you know, we've talked about it, like he probably does too much, but that right. whole system of finding like we're doing resisted band sets, we're doing assisted band sets, we're doing drive blocks with the sandbag, like building strength in the positions required to play your position that was pretty cool and i think um you know like he's carried that with him for a long time but that was i didn't see that until like 2014 o-linemen just were kind of like hey we're gonna go block without kind of any kind of technical cues and you know strength developing exercises so that was cool and again the the structuring of practice i thought was probably the biggest one the the biggest kind of league thing that i saw because that didn't happen until 2013 or 12 with kyle he was like man like, what are we doing? And now everybody does a version of that. So I think that's some, those are kind of the three, when I look back on my career that stick out to me. Yeah, I think that's good. I also like um, the practice setup just made me think of this too. The fact that they're not doing any running place in yeah. practice, I love because like, what's not, what's the point? There is a, some point in practicing them right now, but like those plays come down to the execution of the blocks in football pads and you can't do execution of blocks and football pads without football pads. And so, you know, receivers can go run their routes and like, yeah, there's a different level of physicality once you're in pads and all that kind of stuff. But with the rules now, it's really not that different. Um, You know, you can hand fight and stuff without pads on. So, um, and honestly, like receivers and DBs, like especially receivers, like their pads are pretty, pretty thin. Um, So you can get game like work in the passing game during the spring you cannot with the run game stuff and so i love the fact that they're not really wasting time like you're limited you only have two hours on the field don't spend it on running stuff like yeah. just don't run the football in the spring because not because it's not important not because you you can't walk it through or you know talk about it in meeting rooms but you can't execute it at anything remotely close to game speed or game intensity on the practice field. So do the stuff that you can do at game speed and game, game intensity on the practice field now and worry about that stuff when you get to training camp and you're in pads. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, you know, my old ass is like, I have a lot of anxiety about, you know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> oh God, they're not doing, you know what I mean? And I, I think the reason I feel that way is because, and, and maybe they maybe they are doing stuff like in walkthroughs and things like that, because there is a very, very high technical um, technical demand in the run game. And what, what I mean by yeah. that is like, you have to make sure the runs targeted correctly, the combinations are all called. It's if, in terms of things that are complex, the 
The passing game is relatively simple, which, which is going to sound crazy because that's where most of the production comes. The run game is insanely complicated, right? Because we got to get these calls, the, these certain combinations called. We got to identify who the run's going to. We got to make sure that on we hear force as opposed to Zorro and know that that changes how the run is targeted and the execution of the back. So it is very detailed, but I also think that this this is where you're going to make your money in the pass game, right? And I heard a coach say like, you know, the screen game is an extension of our run game. So they are getting reps at their run game, quote unquote, with the screen stuff. And I think like maybe you could kind of tighten up what you're doing in the run game because your pass game is so diverse, you know, and you want to put more eggs in that pass game basket also. And this allows you to detail it up at a really high level. You know, we talked about, you know, when I'm the sit, who am I trying to influence and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think it is great. I think it's, and I think the thing that's cool is when you watch practice, it doesn't seem to impact the intensity at all. Like it's still a very mm-hmm. intense up speed, upbeat type of practice. And, um, you don't need that kind of physical head banging element at this point of the off season. So. Yeah, definitely. All right. Next week on the show, uh, we will do some season long predictions on the defensive side of the ball for Nick's numbers on Monday and get you ready for the mandatory mini camp. Uh, next week, commanders are in their mandatory period as opposed to what traditionally has been the last week of the offseason. They're doing it in week three and then they'll have another voluntary session uh, or another voluntary week in week four. But next week, we expect to see Chase Young and Montez Sweat, Charles Leno, obviously, as well. So uh, we'll have that breakdown of how they do by the end of next week. The uh, enemy also speaks later today as we record this Thursday morning. Uh, so does Jack Del Rio. So uh, we'll have some reaction to what they have to say and how EB thinks all the install and everything is going. His thoughts on Sam Howe. Uh, in the meantime, of course, you can catch us on the radio. I will be there four to seven each and every day on the team 980. Uh, and then we're back next week with two episodes of Take Command. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, if you're watching, go ahead and hit that like button, assuming that you did. Um, let's be honest. If you made it this far, you probably liked it, unless you hate watching it, <laughs> in which case, I guess thanks for the view, but don't hit the like button. Uh, but make sure you are subscribed wherever you are watching or listening right now, and we'll see you next week on Take Command.